Hello and welcome to Living Word Ministries, where everyone is a winner. Join us as we rightly divide the word of truth. Oh, well, let us pray. Let us pray. I want you to just ask the Lord to speak to you today. There's a reason why you're here today. There's a reason why the Lord has made it possible for you to come here today. There's something that the Lord would like to say to you today. So I wanted to pray. I wanted to ask that God speak to me in your own unique way, in a way that I would understand. I don't want my time here to be a waste. I'm not just here for a celebration. I, I want my life to be impacted divinely by God. I want you to speak something into my heart. Just go ahead and speak to him. Speak to him. Lord, I'm here. You know the things about my life that nobody knows anything about. You know what I'm going through. You know where I am. You know the station in life that I am. So, Lord, I'm asking, oh God, that you will speak to me. I'm asking, oh God, that, Lord, you will speak through me. I'm asking, oh God, that your word will come forth with power in the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, do we have the slides? Do we have the slides? You don't? It's okay. That's fine. Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to be speaking to us today about hope. About hope. And... You know, when I say to you that I hope to have lunch with you, I'll, I hope um, to see you next week. Uh, for a lot of you, that means that I may or may not. Uh, but hope in the Word of God is so different from the way we use the word hope. Uh, and today I'm going to be sharing with us Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the kingdom of God works in different ways. And you have three basic laws that run the kingdom of God. You have the law of love. You have the law of hope, and then you have the law of faith. And a lot of us have heard about love, and we've heard about faith. But one thing a lot of us have not really taken time to understand is hope. About two years ago, I was visiting, and before I left the U.S., where I live, there was a young lady in our church that could not pay her school fees. And she was about to withdraw from school. Actually, her friends have started saying bye-bye to her. And my wife asked me, uh, what do we do? I said, well, we pray. That's what we do. Because if you try as a pastor to financially meet all the needs of the members of the church, then you would know that your name is not God. Uh, by the time you have house bills and medical bills and travel bills, and vacation bills, all kinds of requests. 
So the first thing you learn quickly as a pastor is you have to learn how to pray. You have to learn how to pray. So that's exactly what I said to my wife. I said, well, we're going to pray. And then we came on vacation to the UK. That was about two years ago. And we came, we stayed with Sister Joan. Remember, we left somebody in the U.S. that was about to leave the States because there were just so many things that she could not really get to do. I'm talking about the God of hope, the God that is able to take you from wherever you are and give you hope. My intention was not to tell anybody in the U.K. about what she was going through, but I was telling God about that. And God ministered, you know, to her while we were in the UK. And, you know, through so many things, you know, pastor came over to, to the house and began to talk about the lady, even though I didn't tell him all the details of what she was going through or the situation she was in. But I'm glad to tell you that she graduated two weeks ago from the university. Well, not only did she graduate, she graduated with the highest GPA. And she got to sing with her group for the Vice President of the United States of America during graduation. And a month before then, she got engaged. <laughs> so we had a, if you see me after service, I can show you the beautiful video. I, I was hoping that they would be able to do this so that you can see. And she's getting married in July of this year. Praise the Lord. So that's the God that took her. And by the way, okay, I forgot to know. And then she got a scholarship to do her postgraduate studies from the university. All paid for. All paid for. So you are dealing with a God that is able to take whatever situation you are in and give you hope. So we are dealing with a God who is the God of hope. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In verse 23, he says, I am torn between two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You discover that when you think about people living in this world, a lot of people want to go to heaven, but they don't want to die. Uh, they want to go to heaven. If you ask them, do you want to go to heaven? They say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. They say, do you want to die? No, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to die. But this is a man that says, I really don't want to be here. I, I really want to go. And the way we treat people when they depart shows that a lot of us don't understand what hope is. Because when you understand what hope is, then when people die and they have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no reason for you to be weeping. There's no reason for you to be going through all kinds of the ceremonies that we go through. Because they are in a place that is way better than here. If you give them an option to come back, they are not coming back. They will not take that option. Trust me, when you get to heaven, if you're saved, it doesn't really matter how many people want you back here. You are not coming back. Because one other thing you will realize about heaven is the fact that you will soon realize that every single thing that you get to do here, you did it by the grace of God. 
You might think, oh, I'm the mother taking care of the child. No, it's the grace of God on the inside of you that took care of those children. You might think, well, I'm the pastor taking care of people. No, it's the grace of God on the inside of you that took care of the people. And so when you leave, the grace is still here. So they will be taken care of. Either you are here or you are not. But you must have eternal hope. Jesus came to give us eternal hope. The Bible is a book of hope. Every single thing in this scripture is to give you hope. Every time you come to the church, you are supposed to live with hope in your heart. You are supposed to live encouraged. You are supposed to live knowing that God has not given up on you. Knowing that it doesn't matter where you have been, it doesn't matter what you have done, God will never give up on you. So a man with eternal hope is not afraid of death. If you have eternal hope, if you know where you are going, then you are not afraid of death. You are not. You are living your life here, knowing fully well that you know where the, what your destination is. There are three spiritual laws that govern the kingdom of God. Love, hope, and faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, the Bible says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So love is the foundation of all the activities in the kingdom of God. Everything that God does, he does out of love. Every single thing, he does out of love. Everything. You say, well, but why does he have hell? So that he can give you and I a choice. Every, but he doesn't want any one of us to go there. That is why he gave us Jesus. So that when we put our faith in him, we will not end up in hell, but end up in heaven with him. But you see, one of the things that love does is that love gives birth to hope. Love gives birth to hope. When a young man is in love with a, with a lady, do you know one of the first things that comes to his heart is hope? I want to spend the rest of my life with this girl. Is that not true? Or you just want to let her go away and then you meet up randomly sometime? No! You want to find out how you can keep her. How you can keep her for the rest of your life. That's what hope does. That's what love will give birth every single time to hope. Every single time. Without hope, you cannot have faith. So it's a lot of us have been trying to have faith. A lot of us have been saying, Pastor, I'm living by faith. I'm trusting God. But if there's no hope, you cannot have faith. You see, so love gives birth to hope. And hope gives birth to faith. Because when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. So if there's no hope, there can't be faith. It's the assurance about the things we do not see. You see, hope will paint a picture in your mind of something in the future. Hope will paint a picture in your mind of something in the future. Uh, there's a couple, well, intending couple, they're going through their counseling at our church, they're, they're getting married in, um, in December of this year. The, the young man is from Honduras, and the, the lady is from Alabama in the U.S. So she's Caucasian. And interestingly, you know, the first 
chapter of their counseling that we did with them, uh, I asked an interesting question. I said, so when are you planning to get married? And she said, the December. I said, where? And then she mentioned a particular state, a location. And then she said to the young man, actually, I've checked out the site. I know how much. And the guy was looking at him, that, looking at her, that how come you've done all those details? Well, because there's something in her that is driving her. She can see herself married. She can see herself as a missus. She can see herself already signed the dotted line. So even though you, can, you might say they have months to go, but in her mind, there's a picture of the marriage already there. As far as she's concerned, she's married. So if another guy comes and says, excuse me, what's your name? Like, why do you want my name? You know, I'm, I'm occupied, I'm busy, I don't have your time. Even though she doesn't have the wedding band, but she, her mind is already taken. There's hope that I am married. I have somebody. So I'm praying that hope will arise in your heart today. That you will know that Jesus came so that he will give you hope. You know, when we express hope in the ordinary term, we express uncertainty. But that's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future. It is the confident expectation of something good will happen to you in the future. So there's a confidence that you have. So if I say to you biblically that I hope to see you tomorrow, that means I will see you tomorrow. I'm confident about that. I'm confident. Unfortunately, you see, the devil has nothing original. So he has to take everything in the kingdom of God and twist it. So you realize that people use the word love and they will tell you, I love that dress. I love that car. You can't love a dress. You cannot love a car. It's not possible. You can't love things that can't love you back. So the word love, you can only love something that can love you back. So that's why it's, it can only relate to humans. Because only humans can love you back. Your dog can't even love you back. <laughs> Your cat can't love you back. But you see... The devil takes the word and redefines a lot of things that we find in the scriptures. So you can't say, oh, I love that dress. No, you like the dress. You don't love the dress. Because that dress has no capacity to love you back. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Why? Because we have the capacity to love him back. He doesn't love the trees. You will never find anywhere when God says, God loves the rock. And he loves the beach. And he loves the, no, he loves humans. Why? Because humans are the only ones that have the capacity to love him back. So the same thing with hope. Hope is not maybe, maybe not. No, hope is it's certain. It's going to happen. For example, this world would end, you know, one day. And it's not going to end by nuclear weapon. It's going to end the way God already said it's going to end. So biblical hope is a confident expectation. That something good in the future is going to happen to you. It's expected to happen. It's confident about it. It's a moral certainty that the good will expect and desire will be done. So if God builds hope on the inside of you today, you can be rest assured that you will live to see all that God has spoken to you. Because every time he builds hope on the inside of you, it's because of what he wants to do. The things that he wants to do in your future, he wants to build it in you today. 
there's a young lady that um, got married um, recently. Well, two years ago, three years ago, so it's not too recent. But, you know, I woke up in the morning, and I was just doing my devotion. And then the Lord said, well, you're going to get a call today. Someone's going to give you a call, and these are the questions she's going to ask you. And, and, this, and these are the answers that you, you should say to her. So I said, okay. And then she called. You know, if you're dealing with God, you will know that he's a very loving God. The Bible says that he's the one that knows the things, you know, the end of a thing, even before the beginning. So I got the call, and then she started asking me all the questions. I said, well, these are exactly the things that you need to do. And then she said, no, I don't want to do that. I said, okay. A month, a, a month after that, she called again. And I said, well, this is what you need to do. And she said, even if I want to do that, it's too late. I said, well, not with God. If God says something to you, it's never late. If it's God that said it to you, he knows exactly how to ensure that he redeems the time to ensure that you're able to do the things that you need to do. If God needs to give you more time, he will give you more time. There's a man that his time was up. He was about to die. God told the prophet, go and tell him, you are, your time to die has come. And the man says, no, God, I am not ready to die. And God says, okay, prophet, go back to him and tell him, I've given him 15 more years. So God is able to extend your life to ensure that the things that he wanted to do, you are able to do it in the mighty name of Jesus. If you do not have hope, you will have his opposite operating in you. Now, if I ask most people what's the opposite of hope, you know what a lot of people say? They will tell you that the opposite of hope is what? Come on, church. Come on now. Tell me, what's the opposite of hope? What's the opposite of hope? Doubt. What's the opposite of hope? If you don't have hope, what do you have? What do you have? You have fear. You have doubt. You have what? No hope. <laughs> I like that. No hope. <laughs> Just add no to the word. What's the opposite of love? No love. <laughs> What's the opposite of faith? No faith. <laughs> yeah, somebody will ask you one day, what's the opposite of cheer? No cheer. <laughs> but you see, most people would think that the opposite of, of hope is hopelessness. Hopelessness. But really, you are dealing with a devil that that is not the opposite of biblical hope. The opposite of biblical hope is false hope. False hope. So you realize that if you don't have hope, you would have false hope. A hope that you are just gambling. You, are, you know, the devil is telling you, oh, don't worry about that. God does not really mind. There are people that are believing that no matter how they live their life, they will end up in heaven. That's false hope. There are people that believe that Jesus is not the only way to God. That is false hope. They are praying. They are going on retreats. They are fasting. They even fast more than some of us. But it's still false hope. Because the Bible says there's no name that is given among men that a man might be saved except the name of Jesus. That is the only entrance to God Almighty. But there are a lot of people that are religious. And they believe that they are going to make it to heaven. But that is false hope. That's false hope. So if you don't have biblical hope, 
working on the inside of you, you will have false hope. Now, false hope is what leads people to hopelessness. So when you hear that somebody has committed suicide, it's because they've gotten to that stage of hopelessness. Hopelessness. There was a young um, lady, well, she was in her 30s then, medical doctor, you know, but just the same profession as my wife, a pediatrician, very accomplished in her, in her work. And then she missed church one day in the morning. So we were in church in the morning and she wasn't there. And then we had fellowship in the evening and she wasn't there either. And so in my heart, there was just a staring in my heart that what's going on? So we left church and we went over to her house. She wasn't picking her phone. We rang her doorbell. She, wouldn't, she wasn't, you know, taking any calls from anybody. And so the Lord said to us, I want you to pray. So we stood in front of our house and we just began to pray. That was on a Sunday evening. And then we all went home. Then Monday, I went back to check on her. And then she said to me, yesterday was supposed to be my last day. So I said, what do you mean yesterday was supposed to be your last day? Oh, she said, I can't tell you. It's a very long story. But I came to a conclusion yesterday that I'm better off dead than being alive. I said, what is going on with you? I mean, you don't have any money problem. You don't, you, I mean, you, you're smart. You have done well in your career. You're about to get married. She was engaged then. She was about to get married. What can be the problem? that will drive you to the cliff that you're about to take your life. And obviously she's a doctor, so she showed me she had all the drugs that she has taken, painless death. She was going to take those drugs and she was going to end her life. So I said, what? what's the matter? She said, it's a long story. It doesn't matter how long your story is. The God of hope is here today. It doesn't matter how long that problem has been in your life. The God of hope is here today. She was in her 30s. The story started when she was five years old. And so I said, I have time. And so she started to share this story of things that had been happening to her, but nobody knew. She has been living a double life. She had one public life, and she had one private life. A life that nobody knew about. A life that she did not say anything to anybody. And she was able to keep those two lives going. <laughs> she was able to maintain those two lives. She was able to live a secret life that nobody knew and had a public life that was so successful. But then the secret life caught up with her. And that was when she realized that this secret life is about to become open. And she could not bear the shame. That was why she said to herself, before people be, know what I've been doing in the secret all these many years, I think I better end it. The Lord sent me here with a word for you. If you have been living a lie, nobody knows what you do. Nobody knows that area of your life. But today, you are going to give it up if you want the hope that comes from God so that the God of hope can give you real hope in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, false hope comes with craving 
for physical pleasure. It comes with craving for everything that we see. It comes with pride in our achievement. It comes with pride in our possessions. False hope is what makes us to desire excess money. We, not, we need money for a lot of things. Money for vacation. Money for clothes. Money for shoes. Money for houses. And you realize that the more you have, the more you want. How many of you notice? You go on vacation and you come back and there's something in you that says, you need to go on vacation again. <laughs> you, just bought, you just bought a car and you're enjoying the car. Suddenly, the newer model of the car comes out and there's something in you that says, I need to get that one also. You just went to the store and bought yourself nice clothes and suddenly you open the magazine in your house and you say, I need to get that also. False hope. Because you think that there is something you will get from those things. And then when you get them and you don't get those things, there's something in you that craves for something else. For a lot of people that go on vacation, when they come back, there's something that they want out of that vacation. They say, oh, you know, I'm stressed. You know, I need a break. If you're stressed and you need a break, actually you need Jesus. <laughs> Not a vacation spot. Because that sunshine in that in the Caribbean, it's not going to permanently cure that hunger in your heart. No, it's only Christ that can do that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. There are a lot of Christians that are trying to do that. They are trying to serve God and money. You cannot do that. This is God that says you cannot do that. So if you think that you can, that is false hope. False hope. False hope. I used to work for, you know, there were two companies I worked for. Very interesting companies. Very interesting. Because they took over my life pretty much. But then they gave me huge, nice titles. Actually, there's one of them that I worked for that, you know, very interesting. Nobody audited my account. So the amount of money that I want to spend, they just allowed me to spend as petty cash. But in exchange for that, that meant that sometimes I'm trying to read my Bible and I'm so tired because I've been at work for 18 hours that I try to read my Bible and I do what? Guess what? Oh, you are in my shoes. <laughs> you are so tired. The world will take the best of you. You wake up in the morning and 8 or 9 o'clock when you are still fresh. They will say, yeah, come and give us the best of you. And then when it's 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the night, they say, give the rest to Christ. And then you see that you are so tired. And you justify it. I have to walk. I have to work because if I don't work, I can't maintain this lifestyle. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. But guess what? You've been doing that for how many years now? I have to keep working. I have to keep working extended time. I have to work two, three jobs. And all those things that you are working for, you have to leave them one day. None of those things is going with you to eternity. Job said, naked did I come 
are naked, empty. Did I come into this world? And guess what? Empty. The BMW is not going with you. There's a particular um, um, stuff I saw on YouTube recently. A young man promised his mother, I'm going to take care of you. And then the mom died. And he said, oh, I really wanted to buy my mom a BMW before she died, but she, she's dead. So you know the next thing he did? He, he bought a brand new BMW and buried the mother in the BMW. Buried, yeah, in a brand new 5 Series BMW. I'm sure some people are saying, well, just be careful. We are coming back. <laughs> because she's not taking the BMW to heaven or to hell, wherever she is. But she's not taking it to eternity. You can't serve God and money. You cannot live your life placing the quest for money over your loyalty to God. In 1 John chapter 2, Verse 15, the Bible says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Verse 16 says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These things are not from the Father, but are from this world. And the world is passing away. It's passing away. I mean, look at presidents. Look at prime ministers. They, are, they don't stay there forever. You, after a while, you do what? You call them X. If you are the president of the company, one day you become X. Even if you are the owner of the company, one day you will leave that company alone. You will leave that company alone. So we have a time to spend on the face of the earth. None of us is here forever. God has sent me to ask you an interesting question today. When you live here and you get to eternity, what will you be taking with you? For you to develop hope in God, it goes through three stages, and I'll quickly go through that and then we'll pray. Number one, you must be able to hear from God. You must be able to hear from God. If you do not hear from God, you will live your life like a gambler. Believe me, there are things that you know. You know, for many years, there's a part of the scriptures. The first time I read it, it's like it jumped out to me. Where the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he will show you all things, and then he will tell you things to come. I like the Holy Spirit telling me things to come. Oh, it has saved me all kinds of trouble. <laughs> telling you things to come. I've been in meetings, and I'm about to sign a document, and the, and the Holy Spirit said, no, that's a lie. Don't sign that document. That man just lied to you. Don't buy that stuff. I mean, we've been on all kinds of things, and, and the Holy Spirit is able to tell you. That is part of his work. He will tell you things to come. He will speak to you. You should not live your life like a gambler. If you do not hear from him, well, today, you are going to ask God. God, I want to be able to hear from you. I want you to speak to me. I want to be able to hear your voice so that I will not be gambling with the life that you have given to me. God is able to tell you exactly wh where to apply to. He's able to tell you exactly who to marry. 
He's able to tell you exactly where you need to live. He's able to tell you exactly where you need to buy whatever you want to buy. If you are interested in asking him, he will tell you. So I pray that you will hear from him today in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 27 to 28, the Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life or eternal hope, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. In other words, you're able to hear from the voice of the living God. There is nobody that is able to put you in a place where you, you, know, you are disadvantaged. You know, when somebody cheats me or lie or do anything to me, you know who I blame? I blame myself. That, huh? Lord, I still need to develop in my ability to hear your voice. Because when you're able to hear your, the voice of the living God, then nobody is able to cheat you. Nobody is able to take advantage of you. Because God will tell you ahead of time. I'm praying that you will hear the voice of the living God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Stage two. You go through, you want to develop hope, you are going to go through a period of incubation. You are going to go through a period of incubation. And that means you are going to go through a period where you need to develop in what God has said to you. And a lot of us are at that stage. When Joseph was a young man, he had a dream that his brothers would bow down to him. They hated him when he told them the dream. He then had another dream showing not, not only his brothers bowing to him, but also his father and his mother. And his brother were so angry that they wanted to kill him. Instead of killing him, they threw him into a pit, then sold him as a slave. In Egypt, he was then falsely accused of assaulting his master's wife and was thrown in prison. That was his life. God gave him a dream, two dreams. He told his brothers, and some of you, God has given you dreams. God has said some things to you, but guess what? People are upset with you. They are angry with you because of the things that you have said. And some of you are even afraid to tell people what God has said concerning your life. But he was not. But he went through a period of incubation. He endured mockery and hostility. Where you begin to share your dream, you tell people what God has put in your life, or in your heart, and people would say, how come it's only you? And we know your past. We know you, where you're coming from. We know how you have failed. I, we don't think that you deserve to have this position. But guess what? God Almighty is the one that picked an harlot and decided in, <laughs> that that was the harlot he was going to use for his glory. So when you read Hebrews, the Bible says, by faith, the harlot, Ahab, did not perish with those that did not believe. So God is able to give you hope regardless of what your past has been. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 19, his brother said to him, when the, the father said, go and look out for your brothers. And they saw him coming. They said, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other. Maybe some people are looking at you and they say, well, you are just dreaming. Maybe you tell them about the, the, all the exploits that you are going to do for the Lord in your, in your times. And people will look at you and they, they will tell you that you are just dreaming. You are just a dreamer. 
But well, if God has planted that dream on the inside of you, it's going to come to pass. I said it's going to come to pass in the mighty name of Jesus. I remember many years ago, my wife was, was doing her grad studies, uh, you know, at, um, at Harvard University in Boston. And one of the professors asked her one day, so what do you want to do when you're done? And then she said to the professor, well, you know, I, I, I would like to be a college professor. I'd like to do some clinical work and be a college professor. And then the professor said to her, because she said this to me, that is impossible. Not with your accent. Not from the background that you have. The best hope you have is for you to go and write the exams and just go into clinical practice. Just go and treat people. That's all you can really do. And so she came home and she told me that. And I said, well, guess what? It's not dependent on the professor. It's dependent on God that put that dream on the inside of you. If God put a dream on the inside of you, he is the one that is going to make it to come to pass. The Bible says he is the one that gives us those abilities and is the one that causes those things to come to pass. So the dreams that he has put inside of you, you might be thinking, how will this come to pass? Well, that is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to believe what he has said and to obey him and he will cause it to come to pass. Well, guess what? That dream that the Lord put on the inside of her many years ago, that dream is now a reality today. And so I'm saying to you that the dreams that God has put on the inside of you, don't give up on that dream. It doesn't matter how many people don't believe you. Don't give up on that dream. Because God that planted the dream on the inside of you will cause that dream to come to pass in Jesus' name. If you want to develop hope in God, you must not be a person that is self-willed. You must not be self-centered. You can't be somebody that is self-centered. The hope that God puts on the inside of every one of us is for the glory of God. You cannot live a life when everything revolves around you. When everything revolves around what you want to do. In James chapter 3 verse 16, the Bible says, For wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So you realize that when everything is just about you, what can I get out of this? Then you realize that you are not able to achieve the hope that God has for every one of us. So you can't be self-centered. You must have a heart to serve if you want to develop godly hope. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, For people will love only themselves in these last days and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. You must also get to a point where you have no desire to get even. How many of you have gotten even with people before? Come on. How many of you have been offended and you've gotten even with other people? Some people have offended you and then you see their number calling in. I'm not going to pick their call. And then you, you block them for, for one week or six months. How many of you have done that? Okay. Come on. Don't lie in church. <laughs> you must have no desire to get even. 
If you are going to keep the hope that comes from God, people are going to upset you. They are going to offend you. Jesus already said that, look, he said in the world, you would have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. You're living in a world system where the devil is the head of the system of the world. So you are going to get all kinds of things that would upset you. All kinds of things that will come against you. When people lie about you, how do you handle that? How do you handle when people falsely accuse you about things that you did not do? I remember there was a year that something happened in my office and my boss was asking me that, well, I need to, I need to write a report and place the blame on somebody else. So I said to him, I, I, I don't really do that. It was a, it, we worked as a team and all the things that really happened happened not because anyone went out to make the things bad. It just happened. We didn't plan for the projects to go the way it went. But somebody, you live in a war system where somebody has to take the fall. You have to set somebody up. In fact, sometimes they will tell me that the reason why you are leading a team and you have all these people under you is so that you can identify the person to blame. <laughs> so that when things go right, you take the credit. And when things go bad, you identify somebody. And in my profession, I'm, you know, I'm a trained engineer. And the way you have people take the fall is very simple. If the project is supposed to take four hours and the project is already taking six hours, then as the engineer in charge of the project, you know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to excuse myself and then place another technician there. <laughs> you know, and tell the technician, well, call me. Let me know how things are going so that he can be the last man standing and he can take the fall. And that's how the world system is. Somebody has to be blamed. It can't be the fault of the prime minister or the president. It can't be the fault of the CEO. It can't be the fault of the doctor. It has to be somebody else that will take the blame. And if you're going to develop hope in God, you can't be somebody that is looking for somebody else to blame. Oh, the reason why I'm the way I am is because of my parents. If my parents have done the right things, I would have turned out differently. The reason why I am where I am is because of my husband. I told my husband that we should not buy that house, but he would not listen to me. The reason why I am where I am is because my wife, my wife, my wife likes to spend money. You know, she just likes to spend money. That, so you are always looking for somebody. Oh no, it's Theresa May. It's not my fault. It's the prime minister. It's our policies. If you are going to develop godly hope, you have to be somebody that is ready to take the blame. So I remember I said to my boss, I said, no, we worked as a team. We succeeded as a team or we go down as a team. And he looked at me and he looked at me and said, you don't know how we play this game. Somebody has to take the fault. And there was another manager who was in charge of the project and I was in charge of the engineering part of it. And he said to me, if you don't blame him, he's going to blame you. I said, that's okay. He said, you might lose your job. I said, that's fine. But I'm not going to do that. Why? So that I can keep my job and throw him under the bus. And then I lose out on my relationship with the Lord. So eventually I decided I'm not going to write that. And he did. Blamed me for whatever happened. 
And when the company went through all the reports, I had zero reports. I didn't have any reports. But he had a long report of all the things I did that were not right, why the project did not succeed. At the end of that year, the company fired him. They let him go. And listen, because you have a God Almighty that is the one that is going to fight for you. A lot of us, God can't fight for us because you're already fighting for yourself. God says, well, since you, already, since you know what to do, you might as well do it. And a lot of us don't understand that you are fighting against spiritual forces that you don't know. You are no match to those forces. The people that are jealous of you, there's nothing you can do to them that can appease them. Even if you are dead, they will complain that, why did you die? <laughs> there's nothing you can do. People are jealous of you because you are 6'5". There's nothing you can do. People are jealous of you because you are eating everything they are eating, but they are not, you are not going fat the way they are going fat. I mean, there's just nothing you can do. People are going to be jealous of you because you have a devil in this world. And if you now try to deal with them in the natural world, you are going to fail. Because your battle is not against your boss. It's not the prime minister. It's not the politicians. It's not the NHLs. It's not the doctors. It's not your in-laws. It's not your outlaws. It's not your children. There is a devil in this world. And the only way you are going to win is when you have hope in Christ. When Christ is the one that is fighting for you, that's the only way that you are going to win. So in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, the Bible says, Do not say, I will get even for this wrong. He said, wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Lastly, you have to learn how to love your neighbors or love your enemies if you are going to live in the hope that God has. You have to learn to love your enemies. Maybe this is the most challenging one in the natural realm, but this is the most powerful one that you have. When you learn to pray and you learn to love your enemies, in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, the Bible says, love your enemies. How many of you have enemies? Come on. How many of you have enemies? Let me see your hands. You are not raising those hands again. You only have friends. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Do good to them. Learn to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Can you imagine if God decides that he's going to respond to us the way we respond to him? Can you imagine if God says, I'm only going to give rain and sunshine to those who thank me today, but those who are not in church today, no, no sunshine for them. Do you know how much it will cost you if you have to pay for the oxygen that you get? If the government can tax oxygen, <laughs> do you know that a lot of us will be out of here? But God in his mercy, God that is gracious in mercy, has kept us. Do you know that every single minute, four people somewhere in the world die every minute? And you have been counting 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Do you know how many people have left here all those years? Do you know how many people did not even make it the first day on earth and they die? But the mercy of God has kept you. Because God believes in you. And because God has been working on you to ensure that you become all that he wants you to be. 
But when you go after people, you are going to lose that. When you go after people, you are going to lose all that God is trying to do in your life. Do you want to live a life of hope? Those are the things, those things that I've just shared with you are things that you have to take to heart. You have to learn to love your enemies. Let us bow our heads. So one of the reasons why Jesus Christ came is so that he can deliver us from all the work of darkness. Oh, without God, there's no hope in this world. Nobody's going to make it without God. When talking about ordination, we're talking about the church. The church is a place of hope. It's a place of hope. It's a place where you come to get hope. It's a place where every hopelessness is taken care of. Don't say, Pastor, I've been having some false hope. Or maybe you're in the point of hopelessness. Maybe you've even given up on some things. We had a lady in our church last month that gave birth to a, a daughter called Diadem. She had had four miscarriages. Four miscarriages. All kinds of battles in her family. But God, the God of hope, brought her through the fifth pregnancy. When the doctors saw the placenta, they wonder, how did this baby survive? This baby should not have made it. But the baby made it because of the mercy of God. God is able to intervene in that situation. I want to pray with you. Because there's a God here, is a God of hope. And he wants to turn those hopeless situations around for his glory. There was a woman that was about to die, had her last meal, and God sent a prophet. Just like God has sent me here today. And the prophet said, what do you have in the house? Get me water and make me cake. And the woman said, oh, your maid servant has only this handful of cake left. She's going to make it for the child and her. And they're going to eat. And they're going to die. That's a hopeless situation. And the prophet, the man of God says, just make that for me first. And he prophesied the word of the Lord to her. He says, according to the word of the Lord, that cruise of oil will not cease until the famine is lifted. Just lift up your hands. Thank you. Just lift up those hands. You have hopeless situations. <laughs> Just lift up those hands. Can I have the guy on the keyboard? Just lift up those hands. Oh, because there is a God of hope. A God of hope. 
the God of hope is visiting, is here today. Every hopeless situation is going to turn around in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every hopeless situation. Don't look around, please. You know, it's, it's you and your heavenly father. Don't, don't try to look around. We don't want to embarrass anybody. It's between you and your heavenly father. What I want you to do, I want you to give him that situation. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. Lord, this is a situation that I have. This is a situation that I have. And I'm giving it to you. I just heard that you are the God of hope. You are the one that is able to give hope. So a heavy, hopeless situation. So I'm asking that you give me hope. Give me hope. In that situation, give me hope, Lord. <laughs> give me hope. Give me hope. You might not know how he's going to do it, but that is why he is God. He says he's the Alpha and the Omega. Just ask him, give me hope. I'm praying, give me hope. Give me hope. Give me eternal hope. Give me eternal hope. Oh, Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. We bless your holy name, oh God. Oh Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You might have given up some dreams. Oh, God planted those dreams in your heart. But the devil have convinced you that that dream is gone. It will you will never see it materialize. You are too old. You missed the timing. Well, God is saying to me this morning to say to you that he is the God that created time. And if you give him that dream, if you give it back to him, he will cause that dream to come alive. He will cause that dream to come alive. Cause that dream to come alive in you. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Oh, he wants to see that dream. He's the one that planted the dream inside of Caleb. And Caleb had to wait for 45 years. But guess what? God preserved him. He said, my strength is as when I was 40 years old. And he got, he said, give me that mountain. You will get your dream come to pass in the name of our Lord Jesus. He's the God of Caleb. Is the God that made it possible for Abraham to conceive and Sarah when they were past childbearing age. Is that, that God is your God. Is the God that took Jacob. Jacob, a swindler, a cheat. And God changed him to Israel. A prince with God. It doesn't matter how many dubious things you have done. God that took Jacob will take you today. And it will change you. It will change you. He's the one that changed that harlot in Jericho. And she became the great grandmother of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you. You are the God of hope. Oh, you are the God of hope. You are the God of hope. Thank you, Father, Lord. We give you praise, oh God. My Father and my God want to thank you. I've given the word that you've placed in my heart. And I've seen you give hope. 
I've seen you turn hopeless situations around. Lord, that's what we are trusting you for. And we thank you. Thank you for listening. Join us for our weekly Sunday service at 10.30am at 336 Brixton Road. We hope you were blessed.